from the beginning of our church 20 years ago, we celebrated 20 years this past summer, we had this phrase, we had this vision from the, when we were still living in Africa. We wanted to be an authentic church for those who have given up on the church but haven't given up on God. Sounds like a very trite statement, like I've said it a few times, right? But it's really the heartbeat of our church. And when I say that, I lead with the word authentic. Authentic means you're going to be real to yourself and you're going to be real about yourself, Okay. But it's also not that, just being being authentic yourself, but it's also authentically dealing with real issues. Not whitewashing them, not hiding them, not, not staying in the easy zone, not staying in the layups. And it's getting into the hard, difficult, getting into the rough, if you use a golfing term. And uh, it, it's getting into the, the nitty-gritty. And I do want to talk about, again, today, the sexuality and being able to restore sexuality to its original design, okay? And to get integrity back into our sexuality. And it's not a dirty word. It's a holy word. It's a good, it's a beautiful thing. And when I say integrity, think about that word for a moment. In the etymology of that word and how that entered into the English language was the Latin word until the mid-15th century. It became part of our vocabulary in the mid-15th century, so a long time ago. But what does integrity mean? It means wholeness. It means completeness. So I want us to think about sexuality and to restoring it to its wholeness and its completeness. Not just some back alley, quickie, hookup kind of thing with somebody uh, because it was an animalistic instinct inside of you. I want us to think about it in the, in the wholeness and the beauty uh, of what God made it. And again, I just want to come back. And I know this, uh, I said from the beginning, this is a PG-13 series, but I want to say this. It may be a little shock and awe, but it really doesn't need to be in the fact that the very first thing that God, the very first commandment, the very first great commission of God was given to a man and a wife, a husband and a wife, and they were told to go be together. You don't believe me? Genesis chapter 1, the very first chapter. It says, God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. The very first calling is sexual intimacy. And it was called by God in a perfect marriage. And so let us, let us not let the church do what the church has done for so many years. Treat sexuality as shameful. Treat it as a silent thing. We don't talk about that in big church. We don't talk about that in kid church. We don't talk about that in student ministry. No, no, no. Let's bring it out of the shame. Let's bring it out of the filth. Let's bring it out of the silence. Because this is what's happened, is the world has polluted and diluted what God called holy and right and good. And I want us again just to get past the shock and awe of that and to realize that in this, we're trying to build a sexual ethic here. In the way God intended it to be. So when I talk about this, and again, these words are all important words. And maybe the order, I don't know about the order that, 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 that important, but just the reality that, that we're trying to build a sexual ethic on something that is timeless, not seasonal, not just for a short season of life. It's, it's timeless. It's proven. Okay. It's gone through seasons. It's gone through generations. It's gone through millennium. This is not just something new out there. And we're going to try something new. Because we're bored with this over here. Fix the boredom over here. Don't try, you have to go to something new. Okay? So proven is, 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 is another uh, key word. It's timeless. It's proven. It's sustainable. Okay? 
And that doesn't, you go back to the very first commandment, the very first great commission of God was to be fruitful and multiply. That requires a man and a woman, okay? It's to be a sustainable sexual model. That's what we got to understand. Beautiful and biblical. It's beautiful and it is biblical. Now, if you were here last week and you maybe you grabbed one of these bands on the way out so you can carry it and think about, am I living in the tension? Because the power is in the tension. Some people just like grace. They just want to talk about grace. They just want to talk about affirming. They just want to accept people. They just want to love people for who they are. And again, we're not talking about you don't love people. We're not talking about that at all. You love your enemy. You love everyone. You love the person who persecutes you. It's not talking about love. But when we think love means I have to accept everything about them, then we have a a convoluted, messed up kind of what love is. So grace is a soft side of the story. But some people like truth. They take their rubber bands and they load them up and they pop you with them. And they want to tell you where you're wrong, how you're wrong, and how you need to get fixed. And that's not good either. Both of those, the power of the band is in the tension. Not in one side of it at all. In fact, you see Jesus living in this tension all the way through. We talked about it last week, John chapter 1, verse 14. We see this. It says, the word became flesh. This is John's Christmas story, if you will. The word becomes flesh. By the way, it's 55 days till Christmas if you haven't started your Christmas shopping. And dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the, of the uh, only Son, full of, say it with me, grace and truth. These go together. They're the tension in the middle. you got to have grace, and you got to have truth. But then you go down a few more verses. John chapter 1, verse 17. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. What's the avenue? How did we get there? They were all about the law. They were all about the truth. They were all about holding you accountable in in the Old Testament. And I I tell you all in all about that. Or there was those who believed that there was no law. And so Jesus is the one that we are able to get to the balanced middle, the tension of, of the power. And this is something that even the apostle Paul believes. It believed is a part of the gospel. The gospel was, was, is the power of salvation. It's the good news of God. It's, it's everything's rolled up in, in, into one. This is what he says in the book of Colossians about grace and truth. And of this you have heard before the word of the truth, the gospel, which was, which has come to you and in, as indeed in the whole world and is bearing fruit increasing as it also does among you. So it's growing, it's growing. Grace and truth is growing. The whole gospel is growing since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Can't separate them. This is the gospel. When I talk about this, it's living in this tension. It's living in the reality of what God wants to do in redeeming the brokenness. And I'm zeroing in in this series on the brokenness of everybody's sexuality. I'm not picking on one person. I'm not talking about your broken sexuality. I'm not talking about mine. Go back and listen to last week's message. The reality is we're all in some degree or another broken sexually. Not only the Apostle Paul points it out, but the Apostle John, when he's writing his uh, second letter to the elders of the church, he said, grace and mercy and peace will be with us from the God the Father and from Jesus Christ the, uh, the Father's Son in truth 
and love. And that's almost a synonymous word for grace. In truth and in love. But if that's not good enough. He mentions grace prior to this. Now again, I know truth is one of those things that has hard edges. It's called boundaries. Okay? It's guardrails, if you will, in life. You value those. You don't want them there, but you, you value them because you might careen off. into. And everything about life is built on a moral code of conduct. Okay, you don't want to go to a doctor who has not sworn the Hippocratic Oath. Okay? That, that Hippocratic Oath says that they're going to take care of you. They're going to try to preserve life. If you go to a doctor who hasn't sworn the Hippocratic Oath, you've got a problem or you have a potential problem in your life. So... Think about it like that. It's like there's a moral standard. There's a code of conduct that you expect of a doctor when you go to. There's a, there's a code of conduct when you hire an attorney. He has to pass a bar exam for that state. That's the code of conduct for that state. That's the laws of that state. That's what he has to uh, uh, push towards and move towards and, and govern and if, he, if he's a judge and so forth. So, again, there's these moral codes of conduct. Well, so it is in the Christian faith. There's moral codes of conduct. We call it truth. We have to live for the truth. We have to uh, abide by the truth. Grace is that softer side because we are going to mess up. We are going to be perfect. We need to have that, 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 that second chance, <laughs> that third chance. We don't need to just, just go in it willy-nilly, but we need to understand that there is grace in the midst of the truth. Take your Bibles and uh, find the Gospel of John again. We're in John. Notice this. This is a common theme here. John chapter eight. Now, I'm, I, probably some of y'all might think we're going to John chapter four. We'll be in John chapter four in, in a few weeks, and that's a good, another great story of, of 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 one lady looking for Mister Right and Mister Wrong World, and just going from one to the next to the next, and and just a. Sad story, but again, a redemptive story that God is gonna, that God's gonna live out and tell out through him. But John chapter 8 is probably, uh, one of the more familiar stories of the Bible. At least we know part of it. And I know there's some, there's some, uh, uh, there's some questioning the authenticity of this story in the text and, and so forth. But I'll tell you this, it, it aligns with God's character and conduct, and it certainly aligns with his stories uh, that, that, that he would have, that he would have, it aligns with the way that he would uh, hold to truth and, and deal with the Pharisees. I, I'm, I'm teaching it as uh, the inspired word of God, and so uh, I, I see it in there. But you see the story that kind of unfolds whenever he goes to his retreat place. His retreat place is Mount of Olives. He goes there constantly. It's about 400, 500 yards straight across the Kidron Valley from the Temple Mount to the, uh, to the, to the, this olive grove, a Mount of Olives. And you can go there and there's ancient, uh, old olive trees to this day. And they believe that's where Jesus would often go for a retreat. But while he's there, he finishes up his retreat, he heads back to town, heads back to the temple. When he gets back to the temple, the Pharisees bring a late woman caught in adultery. And when caught in adultery, brings her to Jesus, and you know the story, or at least you know the, the story from what's most quoted in that story is, let him who has, without sin cast the first stone. A lot of us know that phrase, but have we looked closer at the story? Let's look at it. Chapter 8, verse 1, and they went each to his own house, but this is uh, chapter uh, 7, verse 53, then in chapter uh, 8, verse 1, it says, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, 
He came again to the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down, and he taught them. And the scribes and the Pharisees, they were the keepers of the law. They were the ones who made sure everyone was doing what everyone was supposed to be doing. Not only that, they had not only the Ten Commandments as their laws, they had taken the Ten Commandments, and there were 613 laws to help them do the Ten Commandments. So you talk about key rule keepers, they were the rule keepers, and, and they... And notice what happens. Who had been, the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. So we're talking about in the act. And placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now the law of Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? Puts Jesus to the test. And they said, they said to him, uh, they said to test him that he might have some charge to bring against him. And Jesus bent over and wrote with his finger on the ground. And they continued to ask him. He, he stood up and he said to them, let him who's without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote in the ground. But then they heard it, and they went away one by one with the older ones, and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing with him. And Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go from now on and sin. No more. Again, a delicate passage of Scripture, but one that I think is true to the character of Jesus and what he would say and what he would do in a situation like this, thrust upon him. What do we do? Whatever the sexual brokenness of our life, how do we handle that? What are the approaches to the brokenness of our sexuality, wherever yours may be broken? There are three approaches I, I see in this passage. One is you must wholly approach it holy and holy. Okay? Get the, get the words there. Holy and holy. The first approach is the hardest. I'll tell you this. You, if you don't get past the first one, the next two will get a little easier. Not completely easier, but it will be a little easier. The, the, just getting started, though, sometimes is, is very, very hard. I talked to a person, a good friend of mine, who told me about something that they had dealt with as a, as a child in their life. And they'd experienced some sexual trauma from somebody that they loved and trusted that was supposed to be love-worthy or trustworthy, and they had sexually been assaulted. Had been married for over a decade, and had not told the spouse. It had been not something that this person was trying to hide, but it was a, something that this person had suppressed and just put down and just kind of tried to erase it from the mind, didn't want to call it what it, was, what it was really called. And it wasn't until, but, 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 but yet yeah, in the midst of that, this person self-confesses, this shaped my feelings about sexuality my attractions to sexuality, my thoughts 
good, bad, and ugly about sexuality to the point that I didn't even realize it. It was the life that they were living. It was the narrative that they were telling. Remember neuroplasticity that we talked about last week? It was the brain wiring of their mind that this is the way it is. And this is the way they are. And it's okay. It must be okay because it happened to people that are supposed to be trustworthy. Well, this person shared this with me. And the, the long end of that story is a healing process began with their spouse. And they began to go to counseling and they began to work through this. And the when, the, when the spouse told the other spouse, completely embraced that person. Didn't hold it against that person. It had happened to them. And so I, I want to say this, but for a decade or longer, it was affecting the sexuality of their marriage. Now, why do I say that? Because we've got to deal wholly with our brokenness. Holy with it. And when I say holy, I mean we need to bring everything into the light. Everything that is dark, we need to bring it into the light. Verse 3 and verse 4, it says this, And the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and placed her in the midst. And he said to her, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now I think, okay, we're, we're dealing with it, bringing her out, bringing her Wait, it takes two to tango. Where's the dude? They caught him in the act, didn't bring the dude, but just brought the woman. Was it a friend of theirs? I mean, there are all kinds of stories you can start going out in your mind. They weren't dealing wholly with it. They were only dealing partially with it. And you got to deal with sexual brokenness in its totality. In fact, it does say in the Scriptures, that you're supposed to deal with it wholly. Leviticus chapter 20, verse 10, it says the man, if a man is caught in adultery, and this is what the, 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 the Pharisees were referring back to, with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. So it was a capital crime. So I just want you to understand, don't go focus on the capital crime as much as focus on the fact that they weren't wholly dealing with it. They were only partially bringing it into the truth. Here's a life principle for you. A half-truth is a whole lie. You've got to bring all the truth to the table. Patrick Carnes, probably the foremost writer in sexual addictions, wrote a book. I devoured it years ago in my own detoxing of my own filth of my own mind, Out of the Shadows. And... um, it's a textbook in, 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 in sexual addiction classes to this very day. It has a 12-step program for sexual brokenness. Step number five says this, admit to God, to ourselves. Remember I talked about being authentic to ourselves. To ourselves and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. You have to bring it out, give it to God, be honest with yourself, and a safe person, you share it with. But it's not only holy, deal with it holy, but it's deal with it holy. Bring the wrong in alignment with God. Bring the wrong in alignment with God. There's a lot of things you may go out and misquote me on. Here's a tweetable thing for you, okay? God is not approved. God is not, when it comes to sex, God is not approved. He is holy. 
And he looks at sexuality as holy. He created it and he gave it to a man and a woman in a garden and he made it holy and he made it good and he made it right. Let's not mess up what God brought to this world in a good, right fashion. Husband and wife, monogamous, heterosexual union together. I know that sounds so old-fashioned. I know that sounds so limiting. That sounds so exclusive and so restrictive in a sex-positive world. Why put boundaries on love? Love is love. Why can't I endorse the LGBTQP+. Why can't I endorse open relationships? Why can't I endorse swinging? Why can't I not uh, endorse polyamory? Why can't I not endorse uh, polygamy? Why can't I not uh, 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 endorse uh, monogamish? I had never heard of that before. It's usually when you're monogamous most of the time, but every now and then you choose not to be monogamous. Because Hebrews 13.4 says, Let marriage be held in honor among all. Let the marriage bed be undefiled. For God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. It's timeless. It's proven. It's sustainable. It's beautiful and it's biblical. That's the sexual ethic. I had a, I will tell you to this day, I would call him a friend. A a friend came to me a number of years back. Same-sex attracted, been married for over a decade. And when he was at home, he had his family. When he was on the road, he lived out of same-sex attraction for a number of years. And came to me and literally just put his life out there. We began to spend, uh, i got to fast-track this, two years together. Two years. He just wanted to know, does God still accept me? Is this right or is this wrong? Or why do I feel this inside of me? Why, why am I attracted over here? But, 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 but I know what the Bible says over here. I said, let's, let's not listen to Mike's words. Let's just go to the Word of God. Just let it speak. And then what you do is you just take your life, your sexuality, and you just have to align it. You're just going to have to force align it according to God's Word. Just like anybody else in any other sexual uh, variant out there, and there's so many variants. Two years together, and literally we were together every week for two years in my office, in his place, in coffee shops, hanging out together. We developed a good relationship, and we just studied through the Bible and just let the Bible speak. And we got to Galatians. Chapter 5, verse 1. And it says, For freedom, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and don't submit again to the yoke of slavery. Don't, if God sets you free, don't go back into it. Then we kept reading chapter 5. And by the way, he got his own lexicon. He got his own Greek studies, and he was studying this as much as I was. But I say, walk in the Spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. So there's this war going on. There's a spirit, and there's the flesh. Who's going to win? Verse 19, and it grew silent at this point in our relationship in the sense that you could drop a mic in the room. And now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality. Porneo is the word there. 
And it means any deviant, any deviant from God's original design. It's not just the word we get pornography from, porneo. It's any deviant of sexuality beyond what God designed. Impurity. It's opposite of what clean is. Sensuality. It's allowing the passions of your, it's allowing the, the, the natural tendencies of the body just to take over. You, you can't do that. That's allowing the flesh to rule. We never made it. We never made it through all the Gospels. We never made it through all the Bible. I wish to tell you today that he was walking in freedom and we're still friends. We even had a recent interaction together. But it's just like we're just not aligned. We never made it to 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 2. And many will follow their sensuality because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed. We're going to have an a incredible speaker with us next week, Caleb Kaltenbach. I really encourage you. Parents, take advantage of this. Your tithes, your offerings, your generosity to Grace Point is helping us to bring him in, to bring personal life experience growing up in the LGBT life with a mother and a, and, and a live-in that were practicing same-sex attraction and his dad, same thing, same thing. The life that he lived was growing up, going to parades, going to parties. That's what he knew was the right. And, and he gets into the Word of God and it changes. It's personal experience. He's going to share that with us next week. I encourage you, sign up, be a part. Messy, uh, t- text him, Messy to 97000 and you can be a part of that. Let's go to number two. Personally. Uh, personally and introspectively. How do you approach the sexual brokenness? Personally and introspectively. Notice what he does. He bends over and he writes in the dirt. We have to personally pause on our life because what the Pharisees did is they wanted to come and point at other people's brokenness and not look at their own brokenness. Pointed at other people's brokenness, not like Joe. You, we've got to personally and introspectively take time. He doesn't ever condone her behavior. He doesn't even condemn her. But he walks with her. But he talks with the Pharisees. And he, what, what does he write in the sand? I have no clue. There's all kinds of speculation. Was he writing out that Pharisee's sins? That Pharisee's sins? Was he writing out, hey, you slept with this same girl, writing their names in the sand? Maybe he's fulfilling a prophecy of Jeremiah 17, 13. For, for, for all who forsake you shall be put to shame. Those who turn away from you shall uh, be written in the earth. For they have forsaken the Lord, the fountain of the living water. I have to take time in my own soul, in my own mind. Am I right with God? Am I judging somebody else? Am I, do I have uh, my sexual ethic in place? David, a man after God's own heart, we all know his story, ends up with Bathsheba. Brokenness, death, lying, running from God, the whole bit. Finally, he realizes that he can't fix himself. And he says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me. 
and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and then lead me. You cannot get to your sexual wholeness and completeness on your own. You're going to need a deep relationship with God where you're going to say, search me, O God. I can't fix myself. Try me, God. If there's anything that's not right in me, God, you lead me out of this. Number three, mercifully and repentantly. All of a sudden, it's only Jesus and the woman. What do we do whenever we come up on truth and we don't like truth? We got one or two options. We either bend the truth to fit our life. We license it. Or we bend our life to fit the truth. We live in a day where we're bending the truth to fit our life. And that's a danger. We license it. We normalize it. We think it's okay because we need to just give people love and grace and acceptance. We must approach the wrong with mercy and repentance. When it was just he and the lady, what happens? Grace comforts her. Who? Are, where's anybody? Did they, not, did they not throw a stone at you? Who, who's going to condemn you? Nobody condemned her. What does Jesus say? Neither do I condemn you. Neither do I condemn you. And Jesus came, and we know John 3.16, but we know John 3.17? This is what it says in John 3.17. It says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Jesus didn't come to condemn people. His grace comforts people. He didn't come to condemn the people in this world. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. See, one of the key things is in there is in Christ. Are you in Christ? Do you have a relationship with Jesus? He will embrace you with his grace. We love John 3, 16. We need to understand John 3, 18. Jesus did not come to condemn us. He came to set us free. That's grace because it comforts us, but truth confronts us. And again, you'll either bend to truth or you'll bend the truth. Don't skip John 3, 18. John 3, 18 says, whoever believes in him is not condemned. Jesus came to set us free from condemnation. Jesus came for those, everyone who believes in the Son of God has everlasting life. We know John 3, 16. He who believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. We are living in a condemned state. We're living in a broken state. And we need God's grace and we need God's truth. The truth will correct us. The grace will comfort us and enable us to live out the truth of God. And I'm going to say this to everyone in this room because I don't know where you're at spiritually. I don't know where you're at in your journey in the, in the faith. But if you've never experienced the life-changing grace of God, changing your life, putting the broken back together again, sexually, mentally, emotionally, then my friends, give yourself to Jesus today. 
experience his truth, his standard of right and wrong, and embrace it, not as some legalistic whip and chain, but as a standard to guide us through life and receive it in grace. You have never talked to anybody about this? Here's a simple text in. Text GPC Connect to 97000. One of our pastors in the next 24 hours will reach out to you, pray with you, talk with you, share with you. You don't need to live in ambiguity. As we talk about a sexual ethic that is timeless, that is proven, that is sustainable, that is beautiful, that is biblical, this for some of us, we're going to have to face the truth that we've been living in a broken world with a broken sexuality. And we've been acting on it. We've been living it out, acting it out. And I think we need to think about our lives much like this Japanese piece of art. Kintsugi, uh, I, I think I'm saying that correct. I'll go with that. Is a form of art where you have a plate, a saucer in this case, could be a bowl, could be a cup, and it's broken in a number of pieces. But what you do is you take gold and you melt it down. And whenever you bring the plate back together again, you take gold and you put it in the cracks. And so what was once worthless and broken and would go to the trash heap is scooped up put back together with precious metal that takes a broken plate. And I bought this on eBay. (laughs) I looked up this plate on Amazon because Walmart didn't carry it. How much it costs new and how much it's worth now. It is worth three times its value. Broken and put back together with precious metal in the middle. Your life, if you don't embrace the brokenness, you'll never experience the wholeness and the redemption, the gold of his blood bringing our life back together again. Is your story one of brokenness? Yes. Will you embrace that? I hope so. If you will, guess what? The grace of God, the truth of God is ready to embrace you and make you a beautiful masterpiece. If you don't believe me, I want to read one more verse to you. Galatians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 says, God saved you by His grace. Grace and truth. Grace and truth. The reality is I need to realize I need to be saved. That's the truth. The grace is why I'm saved, how I'm saved. You cannot take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for your good things that you've done. You can't. Be good enough to get there. So none of us can boast. 
for we are God's masterpiece. And that word masterpiece is the Greek equivalent of the word for art. We're God's piece of art when we've experienced his grace and his truth. Would you bow your heads with me? As you sit quietly where you're at, I may have said some things to you today that you just simply have a hard time stomaching because you've got friends, because it requires a different kind of conversation, and I get that. I'm not saying you go out and beat them over the head with truth. I would say lead with grace and let truth come to the conversation in its right time. But all of our sexuality is broken. All of us need God's redemptive hand in that area of our life. But if you let the truth of God and the grace of God fill in those broken cracks of your life, your sexuality, your sexual identity, if that's what you struggle with, your, your, your sexual orientation, if that's a struggle for you. Your, your, your passions, if that's the struggle for you. If you allow the grace of God to, pill, to fill into those cracks, the truth of God to shape those, to inform you, then my friends, you will be worth three times more. It will be more beautiful than it ever was before we experience the grace and truth of God. Father, in this space, in this time, press us move in us, work in us, speak to us. In Jesus' name.